Last time on Dragon Ball Z. Turtle and I are going out to dinner. You two better behave while we're gone. And most importantly, no improv. If I hear any yes and, you're getting the back of this hand. Well, Vince, it looks like we've got the Kame house all to ourselves. Yeah, we do, Aaron, and you know what that means. It's time to throw a banger of a We're Kame House Party, the only improv comedy Dragon Ball podcast in the known universe. We're going through every iteration of Dragon Ball, episode by episode, and performing improvised scenes based on what we watched. And you don't have to be a Dragon Ball super fan to enjoy the podcast, because each week we do a one-minute roundup to catch everyone up so you can enjoy the latest and greatest episode. Yes, and... What the shell is going on? They're doing improv all over the Kame House. They even put on flannel shirts. We're Kame House Party, part of the Moonshot Network, with new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't close out a promo while I'm yelling at you. Finn. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Blood of Olympus. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. I, I've, been, I've been experiencing a time over the, over the past week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of like an equivalent in this series. Imagine if you were... You were um, uh, uh, the the Roman camp, but you are a Greek, and everyone is talking in a bunch of words that you don't understand about shit that you don't get. Uh huh. Uh, this has been my experience for the past week because all my friends have been playing Baldur's Gate three. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> they 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 love the funny CRPG where you can have sex with a bear. Everybody's moved on from Gundam. They're all they're all playing Dungeons and Dragons, the video game nowadays. Literally, it's most of the same people who I yelled about G with. <laughs> Oh, are, are you going to venture into the mines of Moria or whatever the fuck? Uh, actually, one of them was very, very nice. And because she got the enhanced edition, that came with an extra Steam key. So she just gave me that. Yo. So I have the game. Okay. I just need 120 gigabytes free on my computer to install it. Well, sounds like a game I would never play. <laughs> yeah. If a game, If a game is more than like five gigabytes it's it's a it's a bit of a question about whether it's even worth it for me that's that's so fair i there's only 500 gigabytes on this laptop so like any big game that i choose to download onto it i'm like i have to be sure that i'm going to play this for like 100 hours your laptop has 500 gigabytes yep that's so many (laughs) wait how many does yours have 118 baby device I really like have to micromanage my computer so bad. Uh, I, and it, uh huh. I this was why I bought like a laptop with 500 gigabytes of space. Was my last one had I think 128. That's God. Yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> I, I should probably do that next when I get a new one. But I don't. Wanna, I don't want to let Dolores go just yet. 
uh-huh. I mean, I still use my old laptop. That's that's what I do, like, work stuff on now, except for recording, Ooh. which I guess is also work, but also kind of a hobby. Uh-huh. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm I just because I'm curious about now, I'm looking how like how is my space allocated on a computer? About one tenth of it uh, appears to be my RPGs folder. <laughs> <laughs> 10.1 gigabytes of, of tabletop RPGs. People people be playing both tabletop and video game RPGs. That's true. How does that measure up to Audacity? Okay, Audacity is twice as big as that. That's 20 gigabytes, but still. Oh my god. I one day I will have a free a free space in my computer, but for now I'm pretty much just going back and forth with the same two gigabytes trying to make sure that I uh, <laughs> Peak podcasting is people looking through their folders and seeing how much space they have on their computers. That's kind of true. <laughs> we we should just talk more about gigabytes and megabytes and such. Uh-huh. uh-huh. We're both so technically minded. I, I think we're tech geniuses. And s- speaking of geniuses, uh, have you ever read the works of Rick Riordan? Uh, well, I was going to say, speaking of geniuses, how are you today, Jacqueline? Oh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I I went and did some laundry, feeling nice and productive. Uh, I'm doing doing good. It's a it's a very I'm I'm having a very a very very special little week. So I'm I'm having a good Aww. one of it. We're gonna make some. What are we making? It's, I can't remember what we're making tonight. I think it's a curry. Uh, maybe an Irish stew. I'm not sure, but I'm very excited. Those are two very different things. They are, but they're both things that are in the meal plan, and I don't remember what day they are. Ah, I see. I see. I'll, I'll engage cooking mode once this is over. But for now, we have to cook. <laughs> we have to cook Rick Riordan for these bad chapters. <laughs> interesting, interesting. <laughs> Not really. Okay, well, how about I give us the summaries before, how about it, you do becomes, before it becomes 10 minutes of preamble? <laughs> Chapter 45, Nico. To get through the throngs of monsters surrounding Camp Half-Blood, Nico summons his skeleton chauffeur, Jules Albert, to drive himself, Dakota, and Leela right up to the Roman encampment. Then he orders them to go rally their cohorts and cause a distraction so that Nico can disarm the onagers unperturbed. He takes the risk of Shadow traveling next to one and, after taking a minute to stop himself from completely melting into the darkness, realizes that they're filled with imperial gold and incendiaries, so the shots will explode and completely destroy whatever parts of Camp Half-Blood and whoever happens to be in them that they hit. Octavian's tent is nearby, and Nico nearly goes in to assassinate him, but he's stopped by a surprise. Will Salas, son of Apollo, along with Llewellyn, daughter of Hecate, and, Se- and Cecil, son of Hermes, are here too on a scouting mission from camp. Will lets Nico know that he just helped deliver Melly and Coach Hedge's baby successfully, then admonishes him for using the shadow travel. As a son of Apollo, he can tell due to his medicinal abilities that Nico will definitely slip into the darkness permanently if he tries again. So they'll all just sneak together to do it. Nico is simultaneously annoyed and developing a bit of a crush. Chapter 46, Nico. Disguised by the mist, they make it to the first onager, right as Dakota and Leela start the distraction, initiating a riot amongst the monsters. Nico has Cecil sabotage the weapon subtly, so it's pointing at another onager instead of camp. They're able to do a second, but only after Will, Llewellyn, and Nico are together to dispatch the guards. At the third one, Nico uses his powers to entangle guards in webs of bone. Will gets mad at him for using death abilities again, and they get into a bit of an argument, distracting everyone just long enough for Octavian, the entire first cohort, and six dog-headed monsters to sneak up on them. Chapter 47, Nico. Before Octavian's forces can attack, Will does an ultrasonic whistle that disables the dogmen, setting Nico up to easily strike them down while also confusing the centurions. 
Angered, Octavian orders the legionnaires to immediately activate the onagers. While he waits for the shots to fire, the two sides trade words. Nico reveals his plan to leave both camps after uniting them, which Will reacts poorly to, saying that Nico isolated himself instead of trying to get close to other people. Will also tells off Octavian for acting like Apollo gave him a prophecy when the god's power isn't even working right now, though Octavian insists he was visited in person and told he'd be the savior of Rome. Just as he begins his big villain speech, the onagers fire, and Nico's plan goes off. The projectiles destroy each other midair. Octavian's plans have been ruined, and before he can order for a reload, Dakota leads the fifth cohort to challenge him, saying that Reyna, the rightful praetor, has commanded them to stand down. It seems the Legion is about to make the right choice, when the charge of Camp Half-Blood, led by Clarice, rides into battle to destroy them all. Chapter 48, Nico. But not if Will Solace has anything to say about it. He does another big whistle, stopping both armies in their tracks, and then directs everyone's attention northward. Reyna is flying through the sky on Guido, carrying the Athena Parthenos. She declares that she's come to return it as a gesture of peace, making right the Romans' ancient wrong by setting the statue on the crest of Half-Blood Hill, right across from Thalia's tree. A great comfort sweeps through everyone, filling Nico especially with a feeling of peace he hasn't had in years. He stands with Reyna, arguing pretty convincingly that everyone has to stand together to face Gaia before the monsters they're surrounded by destroy them. It's too late, though. Although the camps may be prepared to unite, the very earth around them begins to pull their boots as Gaia's voice rises from the ground to make clear that whether they're separate or united, it's time for all of the demigods to die. So, Jane, what'd you think of the chapters this week? Uh, I really enjoyed these. It was great to get some more of Will. It's been a while since we've seen him. It's a, it's a nice reunion and a continuation of this dynamic that he's had with Nico. Did he have a dynamic? Did he? Is that true? Was it? Was he? Did he exist before? No. The joke I'm making is this is the first time Will Solace has shown up, and the book is treating him as if he's always been here. <laughs> okay, so he's. I, know, I remember we, we've talked about him before. I know he's shown up. Honestly, I kind of like the strategy, though. I will say. Mm. Um, because it does make it feel like he is a character who exists and like has had a like he's not new right he hasn't just popped out of the ether and like he and nico do seem to have at least somewhat of a pre-established relationship which makes sense um i so i do kind of like that honestly and i I don't know how you feel about it but i I, i'm kind of in two minds about it because there is one part of me that is like I, I like it in the way that we, because we haven't seen any of Will before, like, one of the things that Will says to Nico in these chapters is, like, you've been intentionally cutting yourself off from everyone and not really paying attention to anything around you. And, like, Nico only really taking note of uh, Will after he's had, like, all his character development in this book kind of, like, plays into that. Mm-hmm. But I think I think for that to work, we'd have, we could have done with just, like, one, I know, one line from Nico where he's, like, Oh yeah, this was Will, the annoying guy who kept following him around when he'd lived at Camp Half-Blood or something. Yeah, that's fair. I, It does make the relationship seem sort of like like one-sided, I guess, insofar mm. as like it seems like Will knows a bit more about Nico than Nico does about him. Um which I, I I don't think they ever have interacted, so that's that's that is interesting. I I think that like um I think that there is something happening here which is like it's good to make it so that like they've already been established and we never have had nico's like perspective right Mm -hmm. um in a place where it would have made sense for will to come up i guess but uh like like you said it could there could have been a little line here uh at the same time it also feels a little bit like uh i i i really like this like general thing going on here which is like nico getting nico getting a group who tell him to get his shit together basically right (laughs) as he is like the end of his arc is coming up it feels very appropriate 
Ah, uh, definitely. I'm looking through Will Salas's wiki page right now. I've I've been very Don't careful. Don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've I've only I've been very careful. I'm only looking at the like previous book section. Uh, mm. It it looks like he premiered in the Last Olympian. He was he he fought with uh, uh he fought on the bridge in the Battle of Manhattan. Helped heal uh, Annabeth and Percy, and uh, I think that was it. I think he set up a hospital. And then in the Lost Hero, oh, in the Lost Hero, he gave Annabeth the chariot. That that was it. Uh, ah. he, he so he was like a minor character in what we've seen of Camp Half Blood so far. The, the key element I'm missing is, I guess, just his relationship with Nico. See, that I'm always paranoid about even doing that on the wiki because I'm always worried that they're gonna like wreck on something and it'll be like, oh, uh, they said later in uh, a fucking Tower of Nero that uh, uh, Will was actually running around doing stuff for Apollo during the battle or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, I, honestly, probably a very bad idea. I've closed the page. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe what what bugs me about it is because it it feels like a romantic interest that's coming in out of nowhere, where it, it feels like... like there's a point where, like, um, uh, after delivering Coach Hedge's baby, uh, Will Will's hands are shaking, and he like says to Nico, "Hey, look, my hands are shaking." And, like, grabs Nico's hand to like demonstrate that to him, and Nico like describes it feeling electric, and I feel like that's not really that's not the vibe I get from their relationship at this point. This feels like two people who are bitching at each other a lot, and that could like grow into something more. Whereas it feels like Will is being like pre-designated as a romantic interest and that makes it feel rushed i i i half agree with you um Mm. he is being introduced definitely to like be a romantic character uh to be involved with nico right like at least yeah yeah. it could be a crush could be a future you know pairing anything like that but uh i i have a different read on that specific moment than you do i think okay uh because we learn i think the next page that like the reason he grabbed nico's hand was to like basically like read his health um oh and, like, i see like provide fuel for like hey i'm a fucking son of apollo i know you're being an idiot like i i can read your blood or whatever he's doing there like i I've, i'm touching you and can therefore like feel how you're um like feel how you're feeling and i i do actually enjoy that i like i like that like it's my, the the action of grabbing his hand is less what i have the problem with as opposed to N- nico's reaction to that being it was it was like someone to fight a lightning bolt through me or something that's fair yeah i it's difficult because nico and a lot of this episode at least a lot of the conversation we're gonna have i feel like is gonna be around us talking about like nico's feelings about will um mm. it feels like nico is um this is part of his arc in a way like yeah, this yeah. is it which you know you already know that but like this is him sort of like for the first time coming to terms with feelings for anyone that isn't percy mm-hmm. i think that there is a degree to which that works um it works that nico is like very surprised by all this um like he's opened himself up a little bit more and he's not like it's not like he sees will and is like wow i have a gay crush on this guy (laughs) he does like he thinks back to like apollo and thalia being like wow he was kind of hot and then he's like why am i thinking about that right now Mm. he's like wow this guy is kind of annoying but also i have a like a weird good feeling about him and i 
it's not like I like that we're still getting like Nico's struggle a little bit, but also mm. that his that it's appropriately evolved with his character, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I I think we we even like um, predicted how this was going to turn out pretty well a couple of episodes ago when we had like the last set of Nico chapters. Yeah, where we were talking about like he talks about people no longer like inviting him over to the the fire and stuff, uh, and we were like, well, that's that sounds less like him being actively rejected and him just kind of being insecure and reading, not being actively invited as being told to fuck off, which is exactly what Will says. Yeah. We had a big conversation about that. I think that was definitely like set up pretty well, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it, it was very entrenched in Nico's perspective and yeah, I, I think part of what, uh, <sighs> I'm going to say it again. There's like two things happening with how I feel about this. Mm. Um, I guess considering the number of times I've said it probably means that there are more than two things that I feel about this. (laughs) But I think like what's kind of improving this for me is that I just like the character of Will and how he's interacting with Nico from like, I I think he's pretty strongly defined just from what we've gotten of him so far. Oh, I I definitely agree. Like I, there's the stuff about this that is bugging me, but I think it is saved by the fact that just like, I immediately enjoy the dynamic that's being set up here. I, I, I like kind of, Nico being this the the idea of Nico being this grumpy introverted little shit and uh will like being being willing to call him on that definitely it's it's a little bit um it's a little bit Annabeth and Percy uh right right down to a slightly shittier version of seaweed brain uh-huh death boy death boy that sucks come up with a better name We've Rick Riordan's skills have atrophied pretty significantly. Uh, we I, we remember the halcyon days of like Lightning Lad or whatever the fuck for, <laughs> Piper called Jason. I just feel like it feels like just like a palette swap of like Wise Girl, except the point. I feel like the point of Wise Girl is that that's a shit nickname because Percy is an idiot who can't think of a good nickname. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Sorry, Lightning Boy, not Lightning Lad. And w- Lightning this Lad's is... also pretty good. <laughs> I wish that she called him Lightning Lad. <laughs> um, I. That's the thing is that this is kind of Rick Riordan doing his formula. Like this mm-hmm. is how he does these like romantic pairings a lot. I think um, yeah. you could even probably bring up like, so, like in Kane Chronicles. I feel like this is the dynamic between like Carter and oh my god, like Zia. I think. Mm, yeah, yeah. Or like. Uh, Sadie and Walt and or Anubis. Yeah, Walt Anubis. This is that's kind of their dynamic too, a little bit. Like this is Rick Riordan's like Rick Riordan's favorite way to describe uh a, like a romantic pairing or dynamic uh, is mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the one who there has to be one who is like giving the other shit and like not taking their shit. Yeah, exactly. And I like also like that's really played into i think in these chapters like before um nico meets up with um will and the rest of them, like he has that little that little drive in the suv with um uh, dakota and whatever the fuck the other one's name is Leela. from the roman camp uh, and nico is like fully doing his haha look at me i'm a scary motherfucker routine with them yes and like even as like noting in his internal narration like he enjoys doing this he enjoys like freaking people out like this uh-huh. Uh huh. And then he gets to Will, who just is absolutely having none of it. No, Will will not take his bullshit. And I, I just the pre, you know, there's a reason Rick Riordan likes to do it. It's because it works really well. It does. 
It does. It's, He's good at a, writing it. it. That's exactly it. So I agree with you broadly that this is a little out of nowhere. Uh, mm-hmm. And it could be placed a little bit better, I think. And like, you know, add a couple of extra lines and sort of secure it up. But I think by and large, I really appreciate like the inclusion of Will Solace and his dynamic with Nico. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's the main thing that these chapters are about, really. But there's there's more going on here. Like there's uh, there there's um, Will's whistle. Will Will could do a whistle. I guess this is meant to be like yeah. I think he says like it's his musical skill, and he's he does most he mostly does healing, so he's terrible at the music stuff. So all he can do is a big whistle, which is funny. I do like the big whistle. I like I like that we've had the set with the dog guys. Uh, and therefore a big whistle is what shuts them down. Yeah. It's, he does it twice. It, like, two chapters in a row start with him diffusing a situation by doing a really big whistle. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I, I can't be mad about that. <laughs> well, I can. It's it's a little bit Rick Riordan, re- classic repetition. Uh, speaking of classic repetition, the riot and repeat, as we call it, we we also get a riot and repeat of uh, a stealth section where the character has to run around disabling onages. No, but this is better. This is a much better written stealth section than the last one. I do Fight much prefer one. this one. He's he's yeah. learning in real time. <laughs> yes, and he can't like we've always say he does have that nasty broken backspace key, so he can't <laughs> go back and make the other one better. <laughs> What what makes this one better to you? Uh, I I like that it's like it's got a little team dynamic. They've got like people running around with gadgets. Like uh, the, one of the girls from Camp Half Blood has like a rubber ball that she throws at some people and it turns them into pigs when they get noticed. Mm-hmm. Which I just think is is very funny. There's like little japes and hijinks. Uh, and yeah. also instead of just being like disabling the onages, there is like a cool act of sabotage that then pays off like two chapters later. <laughs> Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like um the fact that like it's not just Piper going around single-handedly not really interacting with anyone, slashing at legs and killing people without any like detail. They're having to repeating the to same animation th- to disable all of the onages. Uh-huh. They're they're having to like I like I really like the sequence with like Llewellyn throws the pig ball, which is just <laughs> a very funny concept because the classic thing that we see from like Hecate and Cersei, like all the witches, is like turning people into animals. And so I really like that, like, you know, it's normal enough for just like a child of uh, Hecate to just do that to people. Is this meant to be a uh, like throw, going out and throwing the pigskin joke? Maybe. I, I guess it could be. At the same time, it's like will like running just be like for no we don't get a mention of him having like special running powers uh yeah he just he just runs i guess he runs real good and especially runs better than people in full armor i suppose so yes um but like it's a it's a comedic sequence where everyone is using their various like talents to their uh benefit and i think that that's what makes it really work yeah definitely a stealth sequence kind of necessitate, necessitates a little bit of comedy, in my opinion. It has to be, it has to be either comedy or it has to have a lot of tension. The Piper thing had neither, and this has yeah, one of that's, those. That's the problem, and this is the solution, I guess. <laughs> Another great example of their dynamic here when uh, Will 
Will is like running the guards around and Nico just like goes up behind them and slashes their knees or like <laughs> Jim realizing is the same thing that Piper did to the giants, uh, <laughs> but doesn't kill them this time. And um, then Will's like, oh, six of them. You know, th- that's not bad. And Nico's like, not bad. Next time I'll let them fuck you up, you asshole. <laughs> I like that. Nico is, is really not taking any prisoners in these chapters. No. Like, when when he runs into the uh, the Greeks for the first time, it's because he's, like, sitting on the same hill they are, eyeing up Octavian's tent and thinking, maybe I should just go in there and stab him. And he, w- he was right for that. He was right. I think he should have done it, personally. I think, honestly, yeah. I also think but... he should have done it later when he's like, mm, I, he's right in front of me. I could just, like, nail him. I mean, I would die as well, but, like, I could just get rid of him. Yeah, but we learn, and this is interesting, we learn that Nico has uh, developed some new feelings about killing demigods in this chapters. Mm-hmm. T- turns out that he's haunted by the memory of the other one that he kills. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was like, maybe that was fucked up, actually. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I you could. I guess you could choose to read this unsympathetically and be like, well, he was a scary, he was a scary TV psychopath, so it was okay to kill him, but he pauses at killing Octavian. But I guess Octavian is also kind of a scary TV psychopath. Maybe the thesis of this book isn't that it's okay to kill people who are mentally ill. I would love it if that was true. (laughs) Arguably the biggest theme we've gotten so far from Blood of Olympus, I would love for it to not be uh, the, like, I would love for it to be disproven. (laughs) Lord. It's interesting that he would develop that. Uh, I guess we have to look at this in terms of like that, what that means is that he was fine with it before, I guess. Yeah, I think I think it's it's maybe meant to be like again part of that like that ne- that Nico character development we've been getting where he's like he was probably like pretty lacking in empathy for other people because he was like uh-huh. so cut off from them and therefore you know he'll he'll send fucking Bryce to the shadow realm without really blinking but you know because he's opened up a bit it doesn't sit right with him yeah and that that is pretty consistent with the characterization we've got in the past you're right mm-hmm. now. A, a parallel is sort of put into place here between uh, Will, Solace, and Octavian. Does Octavian also have... No, he's just Octavian, right? I think he's just Octavian. We've got Will versus Octavian here and sort of like a, a legacy versus direct son thing. Will Will has stronger blood ties and is therefore a better descendant of Apollo. <laughs> a little bit. That's a little bit what's going on here. Because... <laughs> Nico describes Octavian as like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of Will. Like just uh, like an infinitely worse Will version. And Mm. I guess just first of all, a funny way to describe people who are related. (laughs) It's kind of fucked up. A little bit. Like, wow, you look like your mom, but worse. (laughs) But do we think there's anything deeper there? Like anything deeper to the legacy versus like demigod contrast i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure because i think i think reyna no she's not a legacy do we know any characters who are legacies actually other than frank but he's also a demigod yeah yeah Hmm. or i guess they're all demigods but you know i yeah yeah. is a legacy a demigod i'm forgetting yes i think they are they are uh but they are not the direct children of God. I, fr- Frank is, though. So I I think, for the most part, Octavian's the only one we really know. Uh, and he's a dumbass who... Actually, I think it's kind of interesting how um, Will is like, you know, this is not what Apollo would want, you idiot. 
you are clearly completely out of touch with our godly parent. What are you doing? But like Octavian, when he says, no, this is exactly what Apollo wanted, like is right. <laughs> Apollo was trying to do a coup. That's the thing, because this would read a lot differently if we didn't just get the chapter where Apollo was like, yeah, I went to the Octavian. It was probably a mistake, but I went to the Octavian guy and told him to fucking uh, help me kill Zeus. <laughs> like that. He's right. <laughs> In that respect, at least, <laughs> we got we got to clarify whenever we say anything positive about Octavian that it's just in that case. Uh, what's the fucking drill tweet? You do not, under any circumstances, got to hand it to Octavian. Yeah, we uh, issuing correct in our corruption on a previous episode of ours regarding <laughs> the ter- re- regarding the terror man uh, Octavian. You do not, under any circumstances, gotta hand it to him. Ah. <laughs> uh. He's a, he's a funny of, little guy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Taliban, I do I do think it's very funny that like this this series I think has definitely been like a respect the troops series so far. Like we've seen a couple of little conflicts with that, but basically like like you know American soldiers are like pretty pretty valorized and like treated yeah. pretty heroic. I do think it's very funny that the book also uh, kind of lays into Octavian for being like, well, he's not going to lead his troops from the front. He's just going to bomb everything to shit with artillery and then march in once everything's destroyed. Which is just like how the US Army operated in all of the like wars that were going on when this book was written. Nico is kind of cooking recently. Like, <laughs> like honestly. He... He was like, wow, that sounds a lot like what Mussolini did. Uh, the other... <laughs> the, the other chapters. And now he's basically describing octavian's plan which you're right is you know he's fucking doing drone strikes uh he's just doing operation desert storm yes uh he's like wow that sounds like the most evil thing i've ever heard of like (laughs) it's really interesting how hard nico goes in on like uh just like the evilness of what octavian is doing isn't it like yeah um, and part of this is because of his own personal feelings for, you know, Camp Half-Blood and how at the end of the day, you know, they, they did sort of accept me. And that was the first place I ever really did feel comfortable, even if I don't uh, talk about it, so, even if I don't want to, you know, frame it like that in my own history. So to to get this moment of Nico really and truly just being like, that is evil. Like, that's the most evil thing that there's an emphasis put on it, which I think the reader is supposed to like agree with like because um the way that the onagers are described it's not just like explosions right mm-hmm. it's that we know that imperial gold is like poisonous to demigods it's it's loaded with like imperial gold shot and incendiary like things that will make it explode because it's a very volatile substance and so it's simultaneously going to create these big impacts that will you know destroy buildings and stuff like that but also uh shattered to shrapnel which will pierce you know as many demigods as possible and just like wipe them all out it is a brutal plan and to cure your imperial gold poisoning you have to have like a a big moment of character development and that is going to be so much fucking work for rick ryden to have to write that for every person in camp half blood (laughs) Uh uh-huh but yeah i like it i think that is definitely supposed to emphasize that like it, it, it underscores what nico is saying about like um like camp half blood being somewhere that like he has some bad memories of, but it was kind of somewhere where he was at least, like, safe. Mm-hmm. Like, it underscores, like, his attachment to this community. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. And I honestly, if we're just talking about the politics of it, I think this does still fit pretty well within like the liberalism of Rick Riordan. Um, you know, there is mm-hmm. plenty of like, well, you have to respect the troops, but also isn't it quite monstrous what they're doing? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> With the with the with the crazy commanders uh, are ordering the good soldiers to do, which is kind of a lot of the framing of the, you know, at the end they almost turn Octa- on Octavia and they don't have time to, uh, but they nearly do. Lions led by donkeys, SMH. I've, I've never heard that one. What is what is that? That's uh, a, a common thing I think about the uh, British army in the First World War. I see. I see. valorant troops who are very brave being marched senselessly into machine gun fire by dummy commanders of course dummy thick commanders i understand (laughs) who was that churchill no churchill was world war ii that was uh Uh, no no he was i think he was the minister of war in um world war one okay he was was Uh, responsible for a bunch of uh amphibious landings in i think turkey which were disastrous and got thousands of people killed of course of course (laughs) uh now Churchill's dummy thickness aside, <laughs> there's a lot of little bits here that I like too. Uh, Jules Alabear uh, showing up. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we got the setup for this absolute freak. He gets a backstory, which I really like. <laughs> I was not expecting this weird like skeleton to get a backstory. I I, I love that as a like we've previously gotten like um like confederate soldiers who were like oh yeah they were losers in life so now they they kind of serve us in death and meanwhile this this guy's lumped in with them and he's just like a race car driver who wasn't very good at his job he's fucking awesome like <laughs> he just didn't he like die race car driving or something like that i wait uh, was it was it something that i thought it was just like he took part in um a race but like his car was not up to regulation so he didn't win and he's regretted it ever since that's it that's it and so his his strong regrets have have driven him to be a show for i <laughs> I, I really love that this is some prime just like absolute bullshit some um, some rick Riordan's silly mythical stuff and that's always very fun hell yeah i speaking of uh silly mythical stuff mm-hmm. i i can't tell how intentional it is but i i do really like the um you know this this monster army is kind of Nico's talking about how, like, oh, these centaurs would never pass among humans, and oh, these two-headed guys oh my are God. dressed like homeless people, and they look all gross and disgusting. Uh, and then uh, the, when some of the fighting breaks out, Nico describes the uh, second and third cohorts as acting like riot police to uh, put everyone back into their different camps. Yeah. Which I think, I think feels, you know, in the context of, uh, the, of Camp Jupiter being the fucking confederacy... I feel uh-huh. like you you could draw a line there. You can. I. I know that's probably not on purpose. G- also, I don't want to give Rick Riordan that much credit, right? Like, no, um, it definitely wasn't on purpose. He's using these descriptors to like uh, talk about how evil and bad the fucked up monsters are. Like Nico being like, "Wow, these centaurs could never blend in with humanity as well as Chiron could." Oh, they eat meat. That's so fucked up. Uh, is really like the verbiage there is just awful like it is prime like we talked about this i think like literally like last like last chapter the chapter before just like how weird it is that there are like civilized quote-unquote centaurs versus the savage centaurs Mm -hmm. it's but i think that the oh i don't know i i think that 
if, if they were just characters, I think that could be cool. Like you get a scene like this in Avatar: The Last Airbender, not to be like the person who's like <laughs> in Avatar: The Last Airbender. They did, did it this way, but like you get a scene with like the um, when they're all in the prison uh, and they they like try to initiate a riot by like. Uh, going up to one of the big guys and being like, "Hey, asshole, you look really smelly." And he's like, "Hey, Adam, what are you doing?" And they're like, "Hey, we're we're trying to start a riot." And he's like, "Oh, you, okay, that's it's a, you know escape." And he's like, "Oh, that's fine." And then, hey, everyone, riot! <laughs> I that like that's a good bit that actually like shows some like uh, internality and like characterization of like prisoners, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this is like, these are the evil fucked up monsters. They don't have any internality of it. They are ready to kill and be vicious and turn on people at the at the turn of a hat. They're the outside actors that Gaia has sent in. <laughs> the the centaur antifa super soldiers sent by Gaia Soros. <laughs> Christ, <laughs> this is kind of how it's played, though. It is, it is a little bit played like that. I also think, like, the specifically drawing attention to the idea that they do, would not, like, pass as humans is, like, mm-hmm. interesting in relation to what we were reading about last week with the snake people. Yeah. The snake people who were like, uh, oh, uh, we fucking hate humans because we used to live in, Athe- in Athens. Uh, and then Athena was like, oh, we love humans now. Actually, uh, all of you go and live in the sewer. And we've been mad about that ever since. And we're so mad about it, we're willing to, like, die over it. And I don't know. I feel like, I feel like more more and more that like the monsters are just like obviously an underclass. Yeah, and there that was represented as like almost a sympathetic thing to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, like at, at least at, even if not sympathetic, it was at least a position that they held, which is not something we've seen before. Yeah. Uh, this not so much. I and it's really weird, but because before this book, I can't think of a time that like and you know listeners or jane please correct me if i'm wrong i can't think of a time that like the monsters like slash monstrous versus humans thing really came up i don't think it really did no uh i think like monsters were either like mindless and trying to kill you or they were like tyson and they were chill and there wasn't really anything anything drawn but like if they were chill they were just treated like like more people and usually monsters can just blend in because of the mist. So mm. that that's an element that I hadn't really considered. I wonder, I wonder as Rick Riordan leans into more of this, because it reminds me of like, it like it's kind of an urban fantasy thing. Yeah. Uh, which I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised by because Rick Riordan as time has gone on has like leaned less and less into this being that kind of series. They went into a fucking sewer so they wouldn't have to do any urban fantasy stuff when they got to Athens. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not saying that is like an all encompassing good because I think actually this is an element of urban fantasy that is often handled in like a dog shit way. Oh yeah. Uh, like what if hating monsters was racism? Yes, this is also like the mutant metaphor, which you know is you can argue for that being a bit broader than fantasy racism, but is oftentimes just what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I sort of think that like, does it make sense in this world? Like, do we do we need this element added to like the Cam Half Blood Chronicles? I don't think so because I don't think it's like with the the way that this universe is set up. I don't think it would be possible to like 
do an arc where you're like, oh, the monster, the monsters uh, are doing are doing the monster civil rights movement as written by Rick Riordan, which would a suck to read, and b I think just like not work with like the mythological rules that are set up. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe this series is going to turn into fucking Star versus the Forces of Evil, and it's going to be the absolute worst dog shit you've ever seen, and have like the <laughs> the weirdest racial politics ever written. It's incredibly possible. Amazes me to this day that not more people are not mad about that show. God, uh, <laughs> listen to some episode of our Patreon where we went in depth on that. I think <laughs> I've tagged the ones where I'm screaming about it. So I, yeah, I, I think this isn't necessarily like a Rick Riordan could do something good with this. It could be bad. This is an, we're on the final book and we're still saying like, we'll keep an eye out for that element because that's <laughs> a lot of what Rick Riordan is doing is just like sprinkling, sprinkling elements in as things go on. And we have to just sort of be like, I guess we can keep an eye out for that. It, it's, it's the last book. Yeah. I'm, I'm like 90% sure that Will Solace is like the, uh, the other protagonist in Son of the Star. You think so? I, I am literally, as I say this just now thinking, hmm, well, one of the things in that is the sun. And like he's, uh-huh. he's the child of the sun god. I, that is true. Although that's also just a line that uh, line that what the fuck is his name? Bob said. I know Bob says that, but you gotta you gotta have that. Uh, I guess uh, how would Nico be a star in that case? He's a star in my heart. That's true. He's 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 the star of the book, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like I feel you're right. We are kind of. I think it is kneecapping a bit of this series, like attempt to like have any kind of thematic conclusions that we're getting so much like sprinkled in that I think is going to be picked up in like Trials of Apollo or Son of the Star and shit like that. Hmm. Well, when it comes to this series, we have ten chapters left, maybe uh, something like that. And and we don't really have time for the monsters to become anything other than the mindless forces of Gaia. Hmm. That that's not, I don't think, going to happen at this point. So I guess we have to read this for what it is as uh, just some real the, dodgy language being used. Yeah, just basically, some un- unexamined assumptions being put in this book. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much just what it is. <laughs> what do you think of Dakota? I he's not in this a lot, but I like the, like just like the comment about like oh, I was too busy to learn how to drive, which is <laughs> I've been saying this for a I, while now. No, I I feel it. Um, <laughs> it's just like this fucking ADHD, ch- the the hyper poster child of ADHD in the series now um, is like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know how to drive. Like that, that's just a little too relatable. <laughs> yeah, I like I like Dakota. I I think that he is making up some some absolute bullshit when he's talking to Octavian. Mm-hmm. Because I the the rules on whether or not Reyna is still a praetor or not seem to keep changing. Yeah, we we've talked a bit about this. I think about whether her crime stripped her of her praetorship or not. Because it was like I, first going to the ancient land stripped her of her praetorship, then she comes back and she's like, "No, it doesn't. I'm still a praetor." And now Dakota's like, "Oh no, it's actually because of a specific mechanism of the Senate that Reyna hasn't been voted out of her praetorship yet." Yeah, I, this it, sounds it, like bullshit to me. It, it's just been a bit confused in general. I think that, you know, I guess we're supposed to take it as like going there is a crime, 
but it's not like it's not like you do a crime and then you can just not be the president anymore right like you can uh-huh. you can do a crime but still be the president you have to be impeached by the senate uh <laughs> it, can Raina just I, pardon herself she fucking apparently she can <laughs> I also think it's funny that Dakota feels the need to, like, do any of this. When I feel like the argument could be, hey, a po- a fucking Octavian's gonna kill all of us. We should probably stop him from doing that. He's going to kill all people by doing this. Uh, Every single person everywhere. But what's really important is how this is going to affect the checks and balances of our beautiful system. Of course. <laughs> ah, Rick Riordan. What a guy. <laughs> Athena Parthenos is finally, I guess, useful. Yeah, it's finally been deployed. This is its sort of second going as like an object that acts upon the world. Maybe third, depending on how, because of, I guess, the ending of Mark of Athena. Uh-huh. Uh, how do you think, that, what do you think of how this goes? Uh, I think that they could have lugged a big fucking rock back from Greece and it would have had exactly the same impact. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> I feel like nobody here knows what the Athena, this is exactly what we've been complaining about the whole time. None of the greeks in the camp give a fuck what this is they've never seen this statue before in their lives no um but like i think there is something to nico being like hey reyna and i dragged this all the way back from fucking greece uh you know we're a greek and a roman and we put aside our differences and we work together to get this here but also it could have just been a really big rock and they would have also had to put in the same amount of work to get it here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is the like we we were different classes, but we worked together to win the fucking uh, three legged race, like, <laughs> right? Like it's the it's the same thing basically. Uh, there's it being specifically the Theta Parthenos mattered a lot in Mark of Athena and stopped uh-huh. mattering immediately after when it became when it like became embroiled in the larger stakes of the world. When it was just like it's just like a, a plot device that was like stuffed in the trunk of the Argo for a while. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's a bit disappointing, um, but I, you know, there's like elements of what actually happens here that I think work. Like mm-hmm. I think uh, the bit about Nico feeling like comfort and security for a moment, uh, like for the first time in, um, for the first time in years, that bit works is like mm. that really fits with his with like that really fits with the tr- with like how, how he's been portrayed. Um, I, I'm not sure how I feel about like the big message being like remember you're part of the Olympian family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember, there's no escaping the Olympian crime family. Cause that's a little bit like it's kind of what we what Jason was on about early in this book. Like mm-hmm. if, if I'm gonna die, I'm not gonna die as like a Roman or like I'm gonna go down fighting as the blood of Olympus. Mm. Um the big idea behind this book seems to be like it does seem to be that olive garden style shit (laughs) whether greek or roman you've all got the blood of olympus in you and that matters i guess and that's what really matters at the end of the day your magic blood (laughs) that's a weird message isn't it it's a weird message especially given like again how much of pjo was about like kind of messy estranged families where like sometimes there are like differences that you just can't work out and you kind of have to live with that yeah i yeah i don't i don't hyper know how i feel about that i I think that is kind of just a messy sort of way for this to go i i think that 
I like this book a good deal. I think that, like we were saying before, thematically, it's just kind of nonsense. Like this, this just feels like a very like stock conclusion for a book to have. We got to pull together at the end to fight the big bad. Right. And that's what everything's been working toward the whole time, of course. Like, that mm. was the bit with the book. But there's no twist on it, right? There is no, like, we get basically every beat you would expect. We get, like, the moment when, uh, I think the closest thing to, like, um, something going wrong or, like, something not quite fitting the exact structure is when Clarice comes in uh, with, with the army and, like, almost, like, ruins the whole th- ruins the whole deal. But that doesn't end up happening. Fucked up that Clarice's biggest moment in this whole series is played as a, no, you almost fucked everything up. Yeah. Let her do something. Cl- Clarice should be awesome and <laughs> has had a lot of personal character development in, like throughout the first series in a way that makes that a little like, all right, I guess she has to be the agent for this because she's the war one, but whatever. Let Clarice kill Octavian. She'll fucking do it. She's not going to pussy out she like Nico did. We have one more set of Nico chapters. Uh, like, hopefully that, that happens. This is not our, <laughs> like, hopefully we get to see her just skewer him. God, I hope so. I want every character who's been wronged by him to get one stab in. I want it to be the fucking fall of Augustus Caesar. <laughs> you mean Julius Caesar? Fall of Julius Caesar, whatever. They're, they're all the same guy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Et two fucking name of the, I think it was like Nell or something, the woman that he stabbed in uh, Southern Neptune. <laughs> I, think, I think so. Uh <laughs> It too, uh, Mike, Mike, Mikey. <laughs> they, they left him on the beach. <laughs> Wait, oh yeah, that guy. He was concussed. Michael, Michael Cahale was just like concussed and like saying sports words, and they left him <laughs> on the beach to presumably be eaten by monsters. Well, that's fine. Coach Hedge also comes across as concussed and is always saying sports words, so it's probably all right. Is this just like how 50% of mythological related people end up in their lives? <laughs> well, yeah, back in the day, you'd just be yelling about the Olympics rather than football. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, anyway, I also think it's uh, very kind of fucked up that the conclusion of this is, you know, no matter who you are, we're all part of the same big family and we've got to stand together. Given that the last time these camps were killing each other, it was over whether or not you could own people. Now we've we've gone back and forth, not back and forth really. Like we, they weren't actually the Confederacy. Blah blah blah. Uh-huh. Like that. It, that. I guess we have. They to said keep that, that at in first, mind. and then it. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of gone back and forth. No, you're mm, you're right because like, well, no, those were legacies, right? There were. No, it's fucking nonsense. Like, <laughs> Rick Riordan talked about it like it was a parallel war being fought, right? But then I think in this book, we talk about how, like, there, we talk about how there were, and probably in other books too, we talk about how, like, just like the actual soldiers in these wars were also Greek demigods and Roman demigods. It's, I think it came up a lot was, in Mark of Athena, where, like, specifically there was that uh, Confederate fort where um, they started fighting the Romans, where there was, like, oh, yeah, uh, there was a bunch of Confederate soldiers who are also Roman demigods in there. And right, also right, they right. kept and name I'll... dropping different Union and Confederate generals and being like, this was a Greek demigod, this was a Roman demigod. Did they do that? Yes. Okay. Oh, God. So, and abs- there's also the part... I'm so certain that Robert E. Lee was like name dropped as a uh, Roman demigod at some point. I'm sure that, that happened. That seems too unhinged. 
that seems too unhinged to be true. Let but me just I, see I if there's a Robert you. E. Lee page on like the the Raiden verse wiki. Don't do that. He could come back. <laughs> he could... Oh god, don't don't fucking rise again. Never rise again. This is we we do not need that to happen. It's gonna the the camps are gonna almost pull together, and then the final betrayal will turn out to be that uh, Nico didn't buy that Confederate flag T-shirt in the last set of chapters. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh, you're right. <sighs> Sorry, well, you can never run out of heinous things to say about this because Rick Ryden keeps doing completely heinous things. He really does. Broadly, what do you think about like the action getting interrupted both times? Like we don't get a big action scene when Octavian stumbles upon them and we don't get a big action scene between the two armies. Like how do you feel about that? I, I think that's fine. I I feel like I would have ended up feeling about those the same way that I did about um the action scene last week, where I just kind of zoned out and waited for it to end. Yeah. Because I also think this one would also kind of it would have almost the same problem where last week we were like, oh everyone's a main character and nobody can die. Uh, this week it'll be like mostly Romans and Greeks fighting each other, and like the the camps need to be together after this so nobody can die. They can't start actually killing each other, you know. So it would have just no, been like true. people punching. Yeah, they punch for a bit is an internal plaguing problem. <laughs> we have probably a big fight to look forward to next time against all the monsters. Is my guess. Uh, I guess so. I I like how this ends well enough with like we see the first signs of like, what's it going to be like now that Gaia's awake and it's that the earth is trying to like suck them all down. I do. Yeah. I like, uh, I think uh, there's a description Nico gives of like long Island sound feeling like Gaia's throat. Cause it's like, it's vibrating with her voice. as She's like saying that she's going to fucking kill them. Which that is, that's was cool, cool as hell. Gaia, Gaia yeah. always, always cool and creepy. I like that. Yeah. I, I think this book could have a strong conclusion. I think there's a good chance. I'm, I'm rooting so. for it. But for now, we've got a big cliffhanger, and we'll have to see what happens next time on uh, when we go back to the other party. Mm-hmm. Not so sad? Not so sad. Uh, probably, I guess I'll say well. That's fair. I don't know if that's too easy. We haven't got anything <laughs> confirmed yet, so I think it's decent enough pickings. Uh, but, you know, I, I I like the dynamic they have. I think that there is a very, like, um, like he is the no-nonsense potential boyfriend in Nico's big dating sum of life. <laughs> Whereas Percy was the all-nonsense potential boyfriend. He, he, fa- he failed the Percy route and is now having to uh, save scum his way back onto the Will route. Uh-huh. Which is why the, di- the dialogue's bugged out a bit and he's getting some late stuff that he wasn't supposed to have yet. <laughs> uh, who do you pick, Jen? Uh I pick... Well, I'm just closing some tabs and I found this. I pick uh, Armourer Ray. Uh, no, wait a second. I found, I found this excerpt from the Zeta Gundam novelization. Uh, from his own response, Armourer knew Lieutenant Quattro was char. Why else had his body gone so stiff? He felt it was out of true surprise that he now held his breath. The man, blonde with sunglasses, jumped off the crane. The way he carried himself was familiar to Amaro. Why? Amaro gazed calmly at the man approaching him. His manner of walking was beautiful. Shah, Amaro muttered. No hatred welled within him. That's pretty gay. That's pretty gay. Uh, anyway, I should probably think of an actual answer. I just thought that was funny. I, I do like that. I, Gundam is good. Gundam is good. Uh, they, they, their asses are not up for interpretation. <laughs> 
Oh, you're um, never gonna you're never gonna forgive that one. Nope. <laughs> uh, they're in they're in Gaia's throat. She's indiscriminately voring people. I think that does demonstrate a kind of a kind of pansexuality. That's fair. She is the Earth. <laughs> like, people are constantly fucking all across the world on her body. And you know what? She mostly just lies there and is fine with it. So, presumably, she's chill. She, I guess she's chill. <laughs> That's the ultimate conclusion of this series. I guess, no, the water is a different entity. But mm-hmm. earthquakes? Is that like a like a Gaia orgasm? <laughs> Can we can we read that into the series? Probably not into the series. I guess we can read that into like mythology in general, but maybe not into the specific series. Do not go into the Mariana's trench. It it will cause an earthquake. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <sighs> well, our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, cover art is by Vera at Insmith underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network of Podcasts. You can find us at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. We've got a lot of good stuff coming right around the corner and right behind the corner as well. Uh, so many also, corners. So many corners. It's a, it's like an infinite amount. So many corners that it almost forms like a spherical shape in the sky. <laughs> like some sort of moon. <laughs> Also, you can find us on Twitter, co-host and Tumblr at Unwise Girls. We've got things like visual companions, updates when episodes get posted, uh, alerts for if anything goes wrong, uh, anything you want we'll have on there, as well as links to our email and Discord server. If you want to support us, you can leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. That really, really helps. Uh, you can go and tell a friend about us, spread the word on social media, do whatever you like. That that also is a huge help, probably even more so than the latter. Uh, and <laughs> uh, also, you can go and give us some monetary support uh, on patreon.com slash unwisegirls. For a dollar a month, you get the Discord role of Camp Counselor, for $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, uh, as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, if you if you want to uh, hear about us talking about some of the most uncomfortable shit that we have ever read in anything Homestuck-related, uh, tune in to us reading the uh, kanji root of the epilogues. Uh-huh. Which also weirdly is still cooking. Yeah. God. <laughs> uh, and also... For $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Oh, fuck, we're going to have to change those uh, tier names soon. Oh, fuck, we are. Oh, it's been so long since we've had to think about that. God. Heroes of Olympus is truly a fucking era in our lives. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh, Isla Sammy's Great, uh, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, welcome! Oh, welcome.
Welcome to the best idea for a podcast of all time. This is Champs in the Making, a Pokemon bracket podcast where we take every one of these creatures in the Pokemon video game franchise, put them in a bracket together and find out which one the best one is. Starmie gives me like organic, free-range, gluten-free, like fidget spinner energy. Swallow can swallow a tire hole in one gulp. Ladybug looks like it is ready to give you so many high fives with each of its little mitten hands. <laughs> I don't like Weird Ear's face. It's got a big testicle for a nose, for sure. <laughs> I think Vito King's favorite beer is PBR. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Champs in the Making, a Moonshot Network podcast about Pokemon. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or first at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.